Hello, and welcome to Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Gianna Cappadona, and on this episode, we have a session from the Digiday Publishing Summit Europe held in Milan in March this year. On this episode, we discuss how Business Insider monetizes international audiences. Hear from Julian Childs, SVP of International and Managing Director at Business Insider UK. Here he will talk about the ways in which Business Insider has succeeded in building an audience and business that keeps on growing, relying on a strategic approach built on a shared revenue model, single tech platform, and scalable global advertising programs for clients. BI expanded into the UK a while ago. Was it like yep. seven, nearly five years? Five years ago. Five years ago. Okay. Explain now how you guys, you have a lot of different additions. Explain how you're looking at all of that, um, you know, as one thing. Yeah. Um, so hopefully everyone here knows BI. Um, we're pretty big now, about 150 million global uniques. Um, the international editions are in 16 markets in nine languages. And that's helped us grow audience around 50 million um, through local editions as well. Um, so, so 50 million from the local editions? Yeah. And, and what percentage of that is the overall BI audience? Um, well, overall on the sites is 150, so okay. a third. Um, but then distributed, we're another 150 million too. So 300, 300 million people touch BI. Um, in some way. So uh, going back to kind of the original story of BI, we were a 12-year-old startup out of New York, um, three, three guys in a, in a loading dock in New York, started the business and focused on tech news out of New York. And I thought there was a better way to do tech um, and the intersection of tech and tech startup and VC money. And it was coming out of New York and not out of Silicon Valley. And so that's what they did on day one. And then on day two, they realized they had loads of audience from California. <laughs> um, and so actually, they quickly remodeled that business. And that sort of happened somewhat fortuitously and serendipitously. And similar thing happened internationally about five or six years into Business Insider really gaining some traction. In New York, we're seeing a lot of global audience. Um, and the type of content we're writing, it seems to travel really well uh, across borders. And so naturally, we thought, UK next. Um, and that's where I came into the story. And, and we set up the UK edition. Um, and we had an Australia edition as well. And then over the next five years, we've expanded into all all markets essentially across Europe. We're in eight markets across Europe. We're in a bunch of markets in APAC and a couple of markets in Asia and we're looking at Latin America this year. So we've kind of expanded with local partners. Aside from the UK, which is a wholly owned business, mm-hmm. um, the rest are partners and, and kind of we've done that for for obvious reasons. Um, Explain what kinds of partnerships. Is it just straight licensing? They're licenses but I think you know the license model in digital is um, is vastly different from the license model in print. Um, and I think, you know, the, the traditional license model in print, or TV even, you know, you li- license, out the, license out the brand and build a, build a local um, engine. And I think, you know, if you look at a lot of magazine publishing, that model's been um, served pretty well. Um, you've got editions of whatever magazine in a, many, many different languages and markets. But, but there's little involvement from, from the brand perspective. And so, you know, in digital, we have the opportunity to 
to create efficiencies from content. So, you know, the big opportunity was we have a wealth of content that we know global audiences are interested in. What would happen if we added that in a local language as well? And pretty much what we've seen is we get an uptick of about between three and up to tenfold in audience. Um, and so the UK started out as about a million and a half uniques on the global side when we launched, and we're now around seven or eight million uniques. And so, and very similar story across partners. And so those relationships with partners are really important that they're more like jo jo JVs, really. They're more mm -hmm. like joint ventures because we're working them with them to protect and, and develop our brand in those markets and try and stay as on brand as a global brand as we possibly can. And they get the advantage of a huge wealth of content. They get the advantage of actually a window into how Business Insider has built, how the data drives our business, how the data drives our content, what content is working. We have a lot of great partners, um, probably some in the audience, um, who are doing a fantastic job of really selecting stories that are going to fly in their market or stories that are flying globally. And, and that, that's helped us grow super quickly. I mean, we, we've we added another 17 million uniques to our global uh, international audience last year. Um, most of our markets, we launched South Africa last year. That's already number one in that market. Um, for business news, we launched... Um, the rest we launched Spain last year as well, so so we, we've been on a bit of a tear of, mm -hmm. of launching partners, and we've kind of figured out the model that works. Um, okay, in terms so let's of let's talk about that model because yeah. we've seen a bunch of particularly digital publishers in the U.S. pull back when it comes to their international mm. ambitions. Um, yeah. BuzzFeed has um, obviously they had layoffs in the U.S., but they closed some editions internationally. Huffington Post was everywhere, and now they've started to pull back in different markets. Yeah. Um, explain the model and explain maybe from the outside where they might have gone wrong. Yeah, well, I don't want to speak but, directly well, at them, but, but I think you know, it, it's challenging, right? <laughs> like first, first of all, it's challenging okay. <laughs> in, to go into a market as a new brand and show up and expect people to roll out the red carpet. So, so you know... I think there's no, I'm not necessarily saying our model works, but it's worked for us. Um, and, and that's meant those partners have skin in the game. And so rather than going into that market and setting up an office and look, we, we didn't have a ton of VC money even, and, and people probably don't realize that, you know, back, back in 2012, we didn't, we weren't heavily VC'd. We, we'd had a few rounds of VC funding, but, but Henry Blodgett, the CEO, had been very careful not to to take too much VC money because the expectation was going to be so so grand, and then once you get the VC money, you know, well, let's go and splash splash a few million quid on an office in in Paris or wherever I fancy going. Right? Sounds lovely. Yeah, it sounds great, doesn't it? <laughs> and and in reality, you know, if you're expecting quick returns, and we know the VCs are, and if you look at what's happening with BuzzFeed and and some of those others, and HuffPo's a little bit different because you. Know, it's being sucked into whatever's going on at Verizon. Um, and, but you look at those and you know, they made very aggressive plays in those markets to try and grab, grab share rapidly. And, and we took a much more measured approach where we knew that local, there would be a local nuance. Um, and we weren't, and language is the biggest one. So you know, we were going into those markets to partner with somebody who already knew that market, who already knew 
the local culture, the local nuances, who already knew the market in terms of revenue and spend. Um, and I think that's, that's a big factor. Mm -hmm. So could, wh where could we work together to create a partnership and, and then mm -hmm. let's, share the, let's share the success? So they're all based on revenue share models. Um, they're all ba based on skin in the game from, from their side and from our side. Um, they need to invest to make it work, um, but we will also invest time and energy and a great content engine for them. So, so in 16 markets, I mean, that's yeah. good, but it's also there's the fragmentation risk. How do you, yeah. how do you handle that and how do you be efficient? Uh, it's a big challenge, and, and so it's kind of one of the things we're working on a lot right now. Um, because naturally, as we go into different markets, you know, the, the, the market's in a different position. Um, and in a lot of them, we're, we always feel like we're a bit ahead in the US and, and maybe in the UK of, of where they are. And some markets print still strong in some markets. Um, you know, socials are not as, not as prevalent. So, so they are different positions. But I think you know, we, we make sure that w when, we're working, when we're working with a partner that they, they, they buy into to that. And, and if, we're, if we're going into a, a new market, you know, we do a lot of diligence work with, with that partner and figuring out, do they understand what the brand is doing? And so as a global brand, you know, what we're finding is super important as we start to migrate into different revenue streams is we're first and foremost a global news brand. Um, and we want to be the most loved global news brand in the world. And that is something different to being a local news brand. And so where partners aren't successful typically is if they don't understand or don't, or, or try and take it in a different direction. And we're not, we're not intending to be a local, a local news company. So explain, explain that orientation mm. of being global. Because, I mean, you need some local credibility. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, you know, why, why do it? I mean, yeah. people can just go to BI. Absolutely. Um, so how do you get that, that local credibility and nuance, but then at the same time not, you know, like try to act like Business Insider Polska is, <laughs> is truly Polish? Yeah. Um, I, th I think it's hiring good people, like, and good editors. So, like, you know, we're... First and foremost, the journalism business. And so, you know, we're looking for great journalism. And often we're, we're finding, we're looking at the data, and this is a data-driven driven business as well as a gut-driven business. And I think sometimes, you know, we, we, we focus too much on the data. You know, X, X plus Y equals Z, and, and there is a bit of Y in there, right? So um, it's about hiring great journalists who can uncover those types of stories for us in market. So, you know, if you're... If you're looking at great German stories, that they're on brand to what BI would cover as a global story, it just happens to be, hey, we're in Berlin and we're covering something that's super important there, or we're covering something that Angela Merkel is saying and doing that has global impact. And so I think it's really about embedding those teams with us as well. So we send, every time we, we launch a brand, we send people over from BI New York, or sometimes BI London, and they spend, they spend a few months with them, really building up that office and, and building up the culture of, of how we do journalism and how we focus on what stories we go after. And then applying the data layers and saying, well, look, actually, in this market, in Poland, the data shows that at this, the audience is much more interested in this aspect or much more interested in you know, Russian tanks. And, and, and so, you know, that's fine. We're like, that's a reason to be there. That's a reason to, to double down on, the, on that. But it's not necessarily relevant to, mm -hmm. 
the global markets. And we have some outliers of that, absolutely, in, in all those different markets. So there are local layers of this matters more in this market, but it's still on brand in terms of the style and tone and everything that we're doing and would look to do as a BI, BI edition. Okay, so London now... And we have a team looking after that. Right. We have like, an international editor-in-chief. So London now is, is looked at as the sort of hub for international yeah. rather than like the UK. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so um, and, and uh, that's interesting, the, the evolution of, of the UK because you know, we, we all look at the UK and I'm sure there's many Brits in the audience and as an American company coming to the UK, you know, it sort of felt like this is, this is an easy market for us to win. And, and I think actually that's not the case. <laughs> and, and all those local nuances apply in the UK as well. And if you look at literally, you know, language is the only barrier that doesn't exist in the UK and yet maybe some cultural closeness to the US. But when you look at the market and the landscape, particularly on the monetization side, that's, it's equally tough. Um, mm -hmm. You've got every single US publisher in the world who thinks hey, I've suddenly got some UK audience, let's launch a UK office and a UK brand. You've got every UK brand in the world already there and probably been there 50, 60, 70, 80 years, and there's many of them. So it's a very saturated market. And so I think you know, we quickly learned a similar thing as we looked at our data and looked at what was working in the UK, that actually it was the global stories that had big global impact. And, and no matter how, much, how difficult we made it for UK readers to find find those, they mm -hmm. go and find them. And so the, the audience really defines... So stories produced from New York or... Stories produced from yeah. the US, produced from New York, yeah. And, and occasionally stories produced from another market that we mm -hmm. will take. And so, you know, we were seeing 80% of our top stories were global stories. And there were some local nuances. So, you know, there's only so deep everyone wants, wants to go into... Brexit right now, <laughs> like we're all fed up with that. So, um, but the UK market probably would go a little bit deeper. Um, so that that's a nuance of the of the UK market, and we'll cover that more. But there's still global audience for you know, the main mm -hmm. parts of of what's going on um, in the never-ending negotiation of Brexit. Right. So, so we we saw that most of that global audience was most of the UK audience was global in in why it was coming to BI, what the brand meant to them. You know, we weren't considered a local brand to them. We were considered a global brand. And, and so that, that data started to inform us and we started to, actually, we found too, you know, as you sort of say, right, we're going to globalize this newsroom. We started with the newsroom um, about a year ago. And we were super worried because when you say to a bunch of local journalists, right, you're now going to be global, the first thing they probably think is, all right, this is a centralization, right? <laughs> um, and, and we're just going to cut that out. And actually, that hasn't been the case at all. We've really used London as an international hub of giving us time zone coverage across the markets, uh, which is a super important sector for us. So what happens in finance, what's happening um, in, in kind of European tech, startup, politics, so, so many things. And so getting that head start, super useful for the US. But also, also what we were seeing is that, you know, those journalists want to write on a platform that's bigger. And, and the biggest platform is global. And so actually we were restricting their reach on a lot of their stories by making it difficult for the other global audiences to find, find those. And, we, and, and then the other big reason is, you know, efficiency of tech. I mean, you know, we had a very complex architecture of 
having to migrate stories across two different CMSs and systems. Um, it breaks a lot. It's it's clunky. You can't develop on that that system at the same speed as as the global system. And and so actually, the sensibility of our oh, journalists aren't going to want to do this was quickly quickly went away when they saw that the reach on their stories was five, six, seven, eight, nine, tenfold. And and I think. Yeah, most journalists want to be read, right? Mm. Like, yeah. you want to you want to be valued. You want to you want to see impact in what you're writing, and and the the, mm -hmm. the best verification of that is audience. Uh, how about on the monetization side? Mm. I mean, you're selling globally. Programmatic yeah. so, runs across so Europe. A similar thing happened to us on monetization, um, and I think this is an interesting story because you know we're very diversified as a business, and I think that probably leads into. One of the reasons we've survived and done well and continue to grow and be profitable, we have lots of different revenue streams. And so international, to me, is multiple revenue streams. Um, we have local revenue share with our partners in those markets. But we're also starting to see our clients saying, well, look, we see you as a global brand. What can you do for us distributing this content across your social platforms? What can you do for us creating brand content um, to multiple markets, as well as audience buys in those markets. So, so I kind of see it in, in multiple ways of, of for international revenue. There's one which is big brand partnerships, and we're starting to see more and more of those in certain sectors. Look, not everyone wants to do international buys by any means, so it's, it's more of a niche. But you know, we're seeing the brands, particularly in digital, you know, they have to protect their brand, or they have to give a, a unified brand message when they're talking about branding across across multiple markets, and so you know, they they want that to be consistent. So we suddenly see lots of really great success working with brands across many markets, and the differentiation for us, which is, you know, we're authentically international. We have sixteen markets with nine local language editions. We're not just hey, this traffic's there, and we want to monetize it. It's we actually have an international brand that is resonating in multiple languages in multiple markets. And so, so we can also therefore offer translation of, of content and, and, ru and running those services as well. So we see global branded content, we see local, localized syndicated content across those markets, and then we see audience buying. And so the, the most interesting trend for me, which I think is gonna continue to drive our business is centralization of data, right? So data is the most important thing in marketers' arsenal right now, everyone, every brand is thinking about data holistically. How how can I, how can I connect my customer view? How can I understand that? How can I, hopefully, do more top funnel activity as well as, you know, all that ROI stuff on Facebook and Google that we know works. Um, and how can I, how can I have a picture of of data? And it makes total sense to do that centrally if you're a global brand, right? Like. I don't want to have silos of data in loads of different countries, built different ways, um, and it starts to dilute my brand and, and it creates risk. And so I think, you know, it also creates a ton of efficiency. So we're starting to see that happen. And so we've connected all those different markets to be able to say, well, look, we, we're sharing data too. Actually, those audience buyers in programmatic can be global from anywhere, can be from anywhere in Europe, can be anywhere around the world programmatic isn't defined by borders, right? So if you want to buy, if you want to buy on a platform a, pro, uh, a programmatic eyeball, you can, you can buy it from anywhere as long right. as you have a seat. 
Um, so 2019, uh, more markets? Yeah, yeah. Um, we're, we're looking at LATAM, like I said. And I think we're also you know, working out improving those models in, in those markets. And so we're bringing new products to those markets from the US um, or things that are working. So we're just about to roll out a program, um, a studios product uh, across our European markets. Um, we're rolling and that's out for branded content. For branded content, a syndicated product, product across our Asia markets. So yeah, lots, of, lots more productization based on a close network of, of mm. markets for us, yeah. Um, and the one thing I've forgotten, uh, BI Prime, your subscription yeah. program, is that in each market or in select markets? So that's also something that could be coming, um, but not official. And so we're in talking about that and looking at that. At the moment, it's a global platform. And again, you know, that, that data for us um, is important to, as, we're, as we're evolving that business and, and growing that business from, from a zero base. So that's, that's global, but we see a lot of international... So when you say it's a global platform, it's yeah. one subscription? It's on the global site, yeah. Okay, so yeah. it's not like someone of a local site, there's a different version no. of BI Prime. No, there's no BI Prime on a local site, but you, if you want to read a a piece of content that's prime, then you'll get redirected into the US to subscribe for that. Yeah. Got it. So, but we're looking at that model and how can, we, how can we turn that local or how can we create a revenue share system for that? Okay. Want to open up to questions? This one right here. Uh, it's just one. Is it? Yeah. I was just wondering how you globalize um, content or a story in the local language. In terms of like the style of it or the language, the language of it, oh, that's a good question. Um, so we made the decision to not overthink that, um, and and partly because I think you know in today's landscape in digital, you know we're all reading content from around the world, like whether we intend to or not. Um, we're reading content on social media that gets shared. Um, and for the most part, we understand what it says. So we are now writing out of London. Majority will avoid, we'll avoid language that is particularly lo localized. So you know, we'll avoid phrases that are very unique to the UK and might mean something different in the US, and that, that's happened a few times. <laughs> I'm laughing because I edit out a lot of that yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's, it's really just training the staff um, to, to use certain types, type of language that is more universal. Um, and it's, it's trial and error to some extent, and we've kind of been okay with that, um, versus setting up a system where it would have been hugely... It would, it would have hurt our speed a lot to kind of you know, have a huge sub-editing team in the UK and, and creating UK stories that way. Um, but also, if, if there is a particular content area, like UK politics, you know, it's, the, the audience on that is great, is vastly bigger in the UK, and so we'll tend to, that'll be written by a UK journalist, and they'll tend to write UK style on that, and try and also remember, and this is something that we've learned over time, remember that this is a global platform, so when you're writing this story about Brexit, or about like, we don't even understand it in the UK, right? So how are we going to expect the, the rest <laughs> of the world to understand it? So look, trying, to, trying to make sure you are aware that you are writing as, on a global platform. Um, and actually, it, it kind of 
has, we found that it makes the, the story more effective. We have bullets at the start. You know, we're summarizing stories that make it very accessible for any, anyone in any market. Right. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, wait, there's one more. Oh, Just a quick supplementary on that was, yeah. aside from style, if you've got mm. a story on business inside of Spain, yeah. can you globalize that? Do you translate it? Yeah, we do. Um, but we, we have a team... So that's difficult. Like, and I think the, the big area that's going to shift that, which is coming, is better AI translation tools. And once that starts to happen, it's more interesting. But I think you know, it's all manual right now. So we, we will use, we have a great product suite in Chartbeat where we'll take, hey, here's the stories that are working in Spain. Let's have a look at those. Will they, is it worth taking one that's doing particularly well and translating that? But it's, it's you know, it's, it's not a model that's scalable. So you know, we tend to also look at, is there a project where we've, we've written, we've done a series with all the markets. So we did a series on healthcare in every market and every, every country contributed to that and it was worth the translation effort. But to do that at any type of scale, just, you know, again, um, it is, is impossible as a business model at this point. Yeah. Hi, um, Andre from Galaxy Media. Just a quick question. Um, all your partners across the world, they're all sitting in the same tech environment. Is it the same CMS, the no. same ad stack, or are they all doing no. their own thing? No, it's a, it's a lot of different ones. Uh, we'd love it to be one, but I think also, you know, again, you lose the local, the local opportunity. W- whilst, you're, whilst we're not a single language content system, so all the, all the English language, UK and US, have, have been using one global CMS. Um, and then we allow every partner to use their own. Um, we did go down a path of developing um, that CMS, a version of that CMS for each market. But again, it's a, it's a challenge. And I think if typically we're partnering with publishers, existing pu- publishers with existing CMS systems. So to have a separate CMS for, G- for BI makes no sense for them scaling their business. Um, and we've seen tons of success with you know, Poland being able to, to use their, their own CMS. And they have a big... Um, a big portal brand in, in that market. So, yeah, they're all using their own instances and their own versions. We don't force that on them, but there is an option. And I guess for the whole ad stack and all, this, all the rest, it's the same thing, really. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're trying to unify a lot of the audience into one ad stack, um, and we've we just rolled out a, a programmatic um, network for that. So they're putting inventory um, into our ad stack to take advantage of, of the scale of that. Um, and the ability to reach global buyers in that system as well. And that's a really interesting development for us. So that's launched um, at the end of last year and we're starting to see uh, really good growth in, in that, taking that to market and giving, giving regional buyers the opportunity to buy across all those, all those markets in one place. Okay, we have to leave it there. All Thank right. you, Julian. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening, and a special thank you to our producer, Aditi Sangal. If you like this show, please make sure you subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back again next week with another episode.